On Sunday nights, we have been learning throughout 2018 about God's amazing grace. We've been looking at how uh, that love and that grace has been shown to individual characters within the story from the Old Testament. Now we're working into the New Testament. And I want to ask you tonight, as we think about God's grace, have you ever received something that you did not deserve? Uh, sure, certainly we all have to, some, to one degree or another. Uh, maybe it was you went to lunch intending to pay for lunch and someone else grabbed the check. And that's a nice treat. You say, you know, the nice thing to say is, well, you didn't have to do that. I appreciate that. Uh, maybe it's, it was uh, an unexpected gift. Uh, a friend or a family member, maybe a spouse got you something that they knew would be something that you'd like and just wasn't expected for a holiday or birthday, which is something that they was there on the counter when you came home. That was a nice thing to do. Unexpected. Undeserved. The follow-up question to that is, have you ever received something that was unexpected and undeserved that you could not in any sort of way repay? When someone gives you something unexpected, undeserved, it changes the dynamic of the relationship. If someone buys you lunch unexpectedly, you think in your mind, well, you know, they picked up the check this time. Next time we go to lunch, I'll have to pick up the check to make sure to reciprocate in grace what they gave to me. To reciprocate the kindness that was done to me. Maybe you've had that experience where someone did something so good to you. And it was simply impossible to repay ever. Rare is that occasion. But if you're in Christ, you have been given something absolutely that you did not deserve. And maybe at one time in life, there was a time when you didn't expect it. And no matter how close you grow to Jesus and how much you are in his word and how much you come to his side, you'll realize the more you understand grace, the great gift that it is, and how you are totally, completely, and fully unable to repay the great gift that was given to you through Jesus on the cross. How does that change you? How does that change how you live Tonight we're looking at the story of God's grace to us specifically. We're talking about about us, about how we respond, how we live, how we are changed when we understand the gift that has been given to us that is completely beyond our ability to ever repay. That's why it's understood as grace. Our key text tonight will be the book of Luke. If you have your Bible, I hope you'll turn there to Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 38. Give you a little bit of context as Luke is writing this different from Matthew. Matthew was writing to primarily a Jewish audience. Luke seems to be writing primarily to a Gentile audience. So it changes the way in which he is uh, bringing together this account of Jesus' life and ministry. Luke chapter 1 tells us, a bit of the story. We've talked about that with Mary and the shepherds and the angels and Anna and Simeon and then John the Baptist and the genealogy and then Jesus enters into the ministry by being tempted, by calling his disciples, by doing a few miracles. And then in chapter 6, he calls those who will be with him for the next three years and he enters into a message, a sermon, what in Matthew is called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew uh, um, 5, 6, and 7, are the chapters where it's the Sermon on the Mount. Now, now Luke seems to be a sermon, but it's different. It's the, the beginning of it is similar. We've got the blessings, and, and Luke adds the woes. 
The end of it is similar with a story about two men who understood what they needed to do but had very different outcomes in their lives, the wise and foolish builders who would call that. But the, the, the part between the beginning and the end is different, but both of them are important. Uh, the, the, both Matthew's version and Luke's version matter. Some argue about this, people who are much more scholarly than I. Uh, they call this... Not the Sermon on the Mount, but the Sermon on the Plateau, which I I felt was more appropriate for a Kansas audience. Uh, We appreciate the Sermon on the Flatlands. Um, It is is not as long or as detailed as Matthew's version of this sermon. Uh, It is possibly the same sermon that Matthew and Luke give a different version of. And we understand that could happen. Uh, This morning... I would assume many of you heard my sermon this morning. If I asked you to recount, if I asked Brian Middleton and Shannon Crook to tell me what the sermon was about and what I talked about, you would probably talk about different things, different aspects of the same sermon. So Matthew and Luke could have done the same thing. Jesus had this profound sermon. It could have been. Certainly Jesus being a rabbi would very likely have taught more than one on more than one occasion and very likely could have taught this same version or this this sermon but taught it twice and just varied it slightly that could have been the case either way what we're interested in are these instructions that Jesus gives and we're going to look at Jesus instructions in three separate parts as we pour through this text tonight so the first is that we understand that the followers of Jesus are to are to do the first thing is to live I'm sorry, to love lavishly. Uh, Luke chapter 6, we're going to read verses 27 through 29. If you're following along, you can read along with me, but do it silently. Otherwise, it's going to be real confusing. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 and following. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. I don't know about you, but when I, especially in dealing with people, I tend to be rather binary. They're either for me or against me. They're either uh, my harshest critics or they're on Team Toby. And you probably tend to think that way about people. The truth is, we're really not, human beings are, are much more complex than that. And so it's very likely that to some degree or another, people are on both sides of either for you or against you. But Jesus talks about how we deal with other people, and specifically our enemies, those who would not do or deal well with us. And he seems to give us this understanding that the only way, well, we think that the only way to deal with an enemy properly is to defeat them, to crush them. They, they stab me in the back, I'll stab them back twice as hard and with longer knives. You know, I, I'll, I'll do what they did to me and then some. Uh, social media is <laughs> it's, it's a good example of this. Uh, there's an opinion. Someone posts an opinion, and then you have the comments below. Oh, this is my opinion. Oh, well, how dare you have that opinion? And all of a sudden, we're just back and forth, and it's it's now got to be. And somebody somebody inserts in there all caps, and now we're yelling and screaming and taking sides. And yeah, 
exhibition of the worst parts of human nature on display for everyone to see. Maybe it's at work when you get into gossip, office politics, um, backstabbing, alliances, coups, all of that very childish, very immature, and mostly very worldly type of behavior. Disciples of Jesus are called to love in an uncommon way, to not deal with people as they deal with us. What is common is to love people who love you and hate those who hate you. And in our world, that's just sort of the way that it works. But in Christ, we're to love both our friends and enemies in the way that Christ loved us. That's an easy thing for a preacher to say. That is a hard, hard thing to do. It's hard to love those who do not love you. It's hard to be kind to those who have been unkind to you. We are in Luke tonight. Do not turn to Matthew chapter 5. I forbid you from turning to Matthew chapter 5. If I hear a single page turn, I will call you. I heard it. Stop it. Quit it. Matthew chapter 5, 43 and following. You rebellious Sunday nighters. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We are called to love in an uncommon and difficult way. And and we... We will struggle with doing that. In fact, it's my contention that it's impossible to fully do. We'll talk about this more in the lesson next week. But it is impossible. The the point of telling us to love as our Father loved is so that we understand how much we need the Son. To, To understand that we do fall short, that we're going to fall short, that we're going to mess up, that we're going to, you know, here's God's standards and we're way, like, below the floor in comparison to how He loves us and how we Love others. Those who hate you then, love them. Do good to them. Pray for them. And seek no revenge. That's a hard thing to do. And not easy for disciples. Even as we follow Jesus, we understand that Jesus did this in his own life. That that he... Even those who hated him and wanted to kill them, one of the last few breaths that he breathed in this world were used to ask his father to forgive his enemies because they didn't understand what they were doing. Wow, that's powerful. May we then, in our relationships, bless those who curse, pray for those who mistreat, and if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. What's funny here is that all the commentaries you read, it's just a a very lengthy explanation of what in the world this could possibly mean. And I think if we're honest, it means what it means. We take great 
pains to explain away things that are hard and difficult. There's a reason following Jesus is hard and difficult. It's the cost of grace. To be able to receive that grace which he's given us means we have to extend it to those like it's been given to us. This is the DNA of discipleship, an uncommon kind of love. When we were studying the book of John, Jesus described this in this way. He said, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. It's not just about loving. I mean, quite honestly, most of you people I love. The love that we have is because we know each other and we have so much in common and we're together and we're familiar with one another. Jesus was completely from out of this world and unlike anyone in this world. And he loved them and us in an absolutely supernatural sort of way. He calls us to love as he loved us. So you must love one another. Why is this important? Because it is the best reflection of Christ to the world. I'm convinced the best evangelism and outreach strategy is for the world to look at many people with uncommon backgrounds and different stories and different paths all coming together under one Lord, this Messiah, this rabbi named Jesus. He says, by this, when you love one another in this uncommon way, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Easy to forget that sometimes. Jesus, by the way, said that as he was washing the feet of his disciples, including the one who would betray him. Judas requires loving in a way that putting, means laying yourself down, humbling yourself, letting your enemy be above you. Can you imagine what it must have been like to remove the sandals of Judas? And with the hands that created all things, wash the feet of the one who would leave to go and betray him for a few pieces of silver. Great humility. But it was more than just humility, you see. It was love. God demonstrates, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. So our, our, as we do this, we begin to lay down ourselves. We begin to kill ourselves. We begin to, as we've talked about this morning, control the flesh and just completely defy the natural instinct to take revenge on our enemies and to, to only love those who love us, but instead... To love uncommonly and undeservedly and unexpectedly and not be overcome with evil. When we do that, what happens is we show where our trust is. When you do good to those who hate you, 
when you bless those who curse you, when you pray for those who mistreat you, when you turn your other cheek to be struck after they've struck you on one cheek, if they take your cloak and you give them your tunic as well, what you're allowing yourself to do is trust fully in God and to let his love show through you. And I think truly that's the only way to overcome evil. Paul wrote this in Romans 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful what is do, to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, I I believe this is speaking to disciples and it's dealing in our personal relationships with other people and how we deal with them and how we act toward them. Truly, the only way that the world's going to know and that other people are going to know that we are disciples of Jesus is when we react in an uncommon way, when we love in an unexpected way. Now, let's read Luke chapter 6, verses 30 through 36. Give... To everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your heavenly Father is merciful. Jesus gave to lot uh, to lots of people when you think about his public ministry. I, rarely, if any time, can I think of when he gave money. And and usually, when we think of giving, it has to do with oh, I need to give them a monetary gift. <clears throat> um, one example is when he healed a blind man named Bartimaeus. And he gave him the gift of sight. He didn't give him, he gave him money. He gave him something much more than any amount of money that Bartimaeus might have ever, ever imagined. The disciples in Acts chapter 3, we were reading about this this morning in class. If you were in class, um, the story of Peter and John as they came to this paralyzed beggar. And this is verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, this is the beggar, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, and as did John, and Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, 
But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And he began to, <clears throat> he went with uh, them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple at the gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You say, that is a powerful story, but I... Not sure I have the ability to do that. Not that I know of. The ability to miraculously heal somebody belongs in the world of faith healers who tend to give Christianity more a bad name than a good name. What in the world could I possibly have in common with Peter and John? How could I possibly give someone a gift like that? I tell you, friends, I think you can give someone like that a gift far better than healing of the physical nature and even beyond money itself. You can give a person like that who's mostly ignored by the world love, attention, kindness, courage, hope. There are so many things that you can give to someone that have nothing in the world to do with money. And I'm not saying that it's not time to place for, for, for monetary. Certainly the early church did that, participated in that, so forth. But, but I'm just saying when we think about giving graciously and, and by sharing with other people, I don't want you to just think in terms of the physical, of money and food and things and stuff, but, but to also think of the internal and maybe the eternal. May we give graciously as Jesus did, as his disciples did. God never settles for just giving the people what they want in the moment. He gives them far better than they want, far better than they even know to ask for. May we love those who are unlovable, who are harder to love. Loving those who love us is easy. I said we do that, but in, in truth, prostitutes do that. Drug dealers do that. Criminals do that. They, we, we all, at whatever level we are, we sort of seek our own level, sadly, kind of like water, and, and we just... Love those who are like us and love those who love us. And, and Christians are, are, it's easy to do that, to fall into that, loving like everybody else. We're called to love gracefully in a way that's unexpected as God loved us. We give to those who are unable to repay, doing good to those who have not done us good. Strangers and enemies and people who are maybe sort of skeptical of Christians and Christianity. It is in here that we have the opportunity to reflect the gospel. Think about what 1 John chapter 4.19 says. We love because he first loved us. God did not wait for us to, take, to make the first move, to take the first step. Okay? Uh, in any sort of, uh, well, that happens a lot on, here on earth. When you enter in negotiations, you never want to be the first person to make the first number, to, 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 to name the first price, to, to, to put the first offer out there. No, no, you want to wait. You want to be the second. In a relationship, you don't want to ever be the first person. You're going on that first, that second, that third date, and you kind of think you're sweet on this guy or this girl. And you don't ever want to put it out there like, I love you. Because if they don't reciprocate that, that's awful awkward. So you want to wait. 
You want to make them say it first. It's hard. It's challenging. We understand that. Being the person that makes the first move is risky. And yet we understand that God, with us, made the first move. And he absolutely did. And it was totally risky. Absolutely full of risk. But he did it because he loved us. And because he knew that we were powerless to make the first move on our own. So let us reflect that kind of love to others. May we love as God first loved us. So you've got that coworker who has had it in for you since the day you arrived. You've got that neighbor who lives next to you that is a curmudgeon and a grouch, and they you're just longing for the day when the for sale sign goes up in the yard of their house. Because you're just waiting for them to make the first move, and they haven't. Maybe God's calling you to make the first move with that coworker, that neighbor, that friend. And you say, "Well, I, 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 I preach. I'll just stop right there. I've made, I've made the first move. I made the second. I've, I've made, I made two or three offers, and they have rebutted my attempts to show them kindness and love and friendship." To which I say to you, and did God stop loving you after you rebutted His first, second, third, and? Infinite number of times which he showed you his love. May we love first as he loved first. Let's finish with verses 37 through 38 of Luke chapter 6. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Um, Haven't been on Know Your Bible for a few years now. I can tell you that this is probably the the verse that the world knows quite well. Ah, yes, judge not, right? Old King James Version, judge not. And that's about the, where the, the knowing God's word stops, right? Judge not. It just means very simply, we have no right to establish right or wrong, good or evil, that Christians should not be judgmental in any sort of way. We've got to understand, Jesus did not stop at in what the NIV calls do not judge. He says, you will not be judged. Do not condemn. You will not be condemned. He's saying here... <clears throat> There is a, there's, the way in which you pour out to others is the way in which you receive. One of the things on Know Your Bible that we tell them is that anytime you do what we call cherry picking scriptures, I want this verse, I want this verse, I want this verse. Or sometimes people will use cherry picking to say, well, you see, the thief on the cross, therefore baptism is not necessary. We say the problem with that way of thinking is, If you're using that verse in that way, that verse, by the way you're interpreting it about the thief on the cross, is directly opposed to what Jesus himself said in Mark 16, 16, or Matthew 28, or Acts 2, 38. When we come to the Bible, we understand there's no conflicts between verses. That the Bible is a self-supporting book of books. That it all weaves together perfectly. 
And so if your interpretation of one scripture goes against clearly what another scripture says, your job is to back up and say, whoa, I need to change my interpretation here for just a second. So if your interpretation of Luke chapter 6 or Matthew of saying judge not, that means just, you know, basically Christians have no right to say anything about any behavior, any type of activity. And yet this from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the person... 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For it is new on the mind of the Lord as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 10 said this when he was sending out the disciples. Verse 16, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to local councils and flog you in the synagogues. And he goes on to talk about uh, shaking the dust off your feet. I mean, he called his disciples. Use your brain. You have to discern. The difference between those who would mean you well and those who would mean you harm. And Paul says, spiritual people have to make judgments about all kinds of things. So, so I'm making this extended point to say, judge not does not mean throw out your brains. Stop thinking. Stop understanding God's word. God's word still means what it says. We have to use it correctly. We have to use our, our minds. There's a reason God gave you a brain As we use it, and this is the point I think Jesus is trying to make, is we have to be able to use a consistent standard of judgment. A consistent standard for what's right, for what's wrong. The way you apply that judgment is the way you will be judged by other people. You judge harshly, people are going to judge you harshly. Uh, You judge graciously if you're... you're, um, exceptionally kind, uh, that's going to be shown to you. Whatever, However we apply this, understand that the measure we use will be the measure used to us. So think about the measure you use. Uh, we, we've had an interesting cultural moment. We read the news, we think about what's happening with the Supreme Court nomination. This drama has filled our lives for the past few weeks. And if you think about pulling out of politics, but just trying to draw a lesson here, there, there's, there's kind of a thing, there's a, there's a principle here. What measure do you want applied to you? Do, do you want innocent until proven guilty? Or, or do you want any allegation laid against you is true? Hmm. It's important. When we think about that, you know, some people, because of their politics, are on one side or the other. My question is, which standard do you want applied to you? Equal standards of justice or the idea that some people are more equal than others. Some people have more rights than others. Some people have a different set of rules to play by and live by. 
What was interesting to me is I watched when it was part of the Kavanaugh testimony. I just happened to hear it. I don't, it was just a, a Holy Spirit moment. And I heard him say this. I wrote it down to make sure I get the quote right. He said, I ask you to judge me using the same standard that you would use for you or your father or your grandfather. Mm, I like that. I like that. And, and he's saying, I mean, not he's not Jesus, don't misunderstand me. But he's saying essentially the same thing that Jesus is saying in, with the measure you use, it will, be you, it will be measured to you. So may we judge rightly and justly. We cannot control anyone else's actions. We can only control our own. So pay attention to what we do, what you do, how you judge other people, because the measure you use is very likely the measure that we will have applied to us. People that are critical and harsh find that in life people tend to treat them with criticism and harshness. People that are loving and kind and merciful find that people tend to treat them with love and kindness and mercy. May we, may we act in such a way and may we use consistent standards of judgment, not ungodly. May we always align our judgments with God's judgments. A lot of practical things tonight. I, I struggled with what I tried to give you one takeaway and had to kind of boil it down, so here it is. The one takeaway from tonight's lesson is to give grace first. Love lavishly, give graciously, and judge justly. Those things are easy to do second. But I want to challenge you to make the first move. I want to challenge you to do what's hard. Instead of waiting for others to earn your, your, earn what you give them or how you love them or how you judge them, I want you to do what God did for us. Do you love those who love you? Sure, it, it's not hard to do. The challenge is to love those who don't love you. And it's really difficult to do that first. So do that first. Grace is not deserved. That's why it's called grace. It's unmerited. It is undeserved. It is a gift. May we give to others because he gave it to us first. Not because they deserved it. He gave grace to all of us at the cross. But... It's ultimately within our hands as to whether or not we'll receive it. He gave that, he offered grace to all through Jesus Christ, but to only those who would follow Jesus and love Jesus by doing what he said to do. If you're here tonight and you have not chosen to love Jesus by doing what he said to do, uh, by, by having simple, trusting, childlike faith, Obeying him and following him and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, by, by forgiving your enemy, by loving those who do not love you, by praying for those who might persecute you. If you have not begun the journey with Jesus, I invite you to do that tonight. If you have a need to begin that journey or you're struggling on that journey, we'll be glad to help you, pray for you, encourage you in whatever way we can. If you have a need tonight, please come. I'll meet you down front as together we stand and sing.